Welcome to Notes on a Painting. Notes on a Painting is a podcast by artists Olivia Kemp and Mark Connolly. Together each week we will discuss a painting that one of us has chosen and researched. Our choices of paintings will reflect where our tastes differ and overlap across the history of art. This week we are looking at Henri Rousseau's painting Surprised or Tropical Storm with a Tiger. Um, so Mark selected this painting. Um, why, Mark? <laughs> so Henri Rousseau is one of my absolute favourite painters. Um, I arrived in London in 2016 to study at the Royal Drawing School. And I had been to the National Gallery before few times um, but in 2016 on arriving in London at the drawing school that was the main point of introduction to art history and the first time I experienced this painting in real life in you know in the flesh it just came alive and jumped off the wall to me um, I was immediately captivated and um, completely taken away by the painting so that was the beginning of my relationship with the work of Henri Rousseau. And I guess he... I should describe the painting. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the painting is um I don't know if it almost square, I'd say. Um it mainly focuses on a tiger in a tropical storm landscape where the trees are sort of swooping over the um the top of the painting. And uh, the middle ground is like a real jumble of uh, leaves you can't really tell anything as to the depth or how far back the trees go and like where things overlap um and I guess um and maybe a sort of very poor term to describe painting would be a little naive in style um it's got that sort of look of perhaps like an outsider artist or someone who didn't go to art school um although it's so hard to put your finger on why that is or what what gives a painting that that look, um, but I think that's something that you often hear when referring to Rousseau's work. He is definitely described as self-taught and naive, and um, yeah, I think you raised several really good points in terms of like what is it about this painting that is peculiar or unusual, and I think it has several quite uncanny components at play so the imagery is quite dreamlike um i guess a little bit of bio just before diving deeper into the bio later um the painting is of a tropical jungle which he would never have experienced in his lifetime mm. so the painting is completely and entirely fabricated from observations in the zoo and the botanical gardens and the tiger itself is probably uh, based on observations of taxidermied animals or illustrations of tigers um, and he has tried to actively um, transform each element so a lot of the naive quality comes into play with the oversized leaves and flowers and blades of grass that are almost impossible. I mean, they, I think 
it would be fair to say that the, the grass is genuinely impossible. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it seems to be in places supporting the weight of a tiger. Yeah. Uh, it's like he's almost floating across the grass and the width of it is more like a leaf, but the like positioning of it is like grass. It's really interesting what you said about um, him drawing from um, the zoo and from taxidermied animals. Like I love love classical paintings where you can tell they haven't actually seen these animals in real life. There's like an amazing Bassano in the Prado Museum of um, Noah's Ark. And oh God, there's some animals in that background. So like it's like a really, really weird elephant and like some really tiny tigers and just the scale is all really bizarre. And I don't know, I just, I, I find those paintings kind of great, like kind of joyous. Mm. Like I love unpicking, unpicking them in that way and like, Okay, well, they've definitely seen a rabbit, but they sure as hell haven't seen a lion. <laughs> That's so true. While you were mentioning the Prado, I immediately, I can't remember the name of the artist, but the paint, there's a painting in the Prado, I think upstairs, of a dog on like a bridge. And the dog has dropped a huge chunk of meat, like a, like a ribeye, <laughs> <laughs> into the, the river. So the dog is like looking really upset and distressed that it's lost its treasure. But it's like, I think it was, I feel like, I can't remember who the artist was, but it's just like, yeah, the breadth and range of like representation of animals in Mm. art is, yeah, it's quite endless, really. It's something everyone can, um, I guess, enjoy and associate with. There's not very many paintings of animals that people don't engage with. Yeah, I feel like... um, to make a portrait of one owns like someone your own sort of like cat or dog or like I have a friend who's a painter who has an African grey parrot then the parrot appears in the paintings and I feel like yeah it's just really beautiful to have those relationships Mm. feed into the work Mm. I feel like um yeah I'd like to see more more animals in art Please. <laughs> <laughs> Send us your animals and art <laughs> to this address. But like Henri, Henri Rousseau is particularly significant to my practice as a painter um, because I find his ability to create and conjure a dreamlike space and world um, almost second to none. For me, he's there, there are lots of painters that do that very well, but his... His uh, like lang- the language that he sort of created and the spaces that he was able to expand on really sort of um, allow for like allow for like your own sort of ability to get lost. You know, it's really it's, it's so easy to get lost, and and the painting sort of extends way beyond its boundaries and perimeters. You sort of you can quite easily lose yourself in that world and. Two other paintings of his that I am absolutely in love with are his painting The Sleeping Gypsy in MoMA in New York and his painting War, which is in the Musée d'Orsay, Paris. And they're both two quite different paintings. The Sleeping Gypsy sort of lying figure under moonlight and the sick lion sort of like... Yeah, Sleeping Gypsy is, is stunning. It's a beautiful painting. So strange and surreal particularly when it's in a room with other art of its time that paintings made in the same era it just does not sit the same and I think the same can be said maybe in a slightly lesser way but still of um surprised it doesn't for the work around it in the room it's not it's not in the same category 
yeah, I feel like the painting surprised has qualities that return in other works throughout his oeuvre, but for me personally, I feel that like there's a slightly closer relationship to an idea of naturalism within this work, whereas the painting The Sleeping Gypsy feels entirely dreamlike. Mm, entirely yeah. dreamlike. He doesn't seem to be too concerned with that feeling plausible or grounded in reality. And the yeah. same with War. His painting War um, has this um, young girl sort of like leaping over a battlefield with this very, very distressed horse leaping across the foreground and the colours in that painting become a lot more synthetic like lots of sort of pinks and blues and there's like an electric sort of quality to the space and the trees and there's a lot of like really stark strong blacks so I feel like this painting um, Surprise, the one that we're looking at has um, has a lot more going on within the space like as you mentioned while describing it the space is really full and packed and it almost feels like a tapestry it like, is but it doesn't have i mean i've tried to draw a lot of forests myself and this just it just seems like almost like the middle the middle section is almost like stripes of color mm-hmm. without depth so like these stripes represent tree trunks but in a very sort of simplified manner where you can't travel backward into mm-hmm. the space at all it's mm-hmm. almost like a curtain mm-hmm. like a few trees and then a curtain of stripes or something like i just to me it I don't know, maybe it adds to that feeling of like impenetrable jungle, maybe there's like a purposefulness to it, but my eye, or I always find in those kinds of scenes, like you want to find a path or like Mm -hmm. follow that through the forest and there's just, it's just like hitting a wall, this is nothing there, you can't go any deeper into the space, It, it sort of, it doesn't make sense, but also perhaps it does make sense, perhaps it, you know, perhaps the intention is for it to feel impenetrable. Yeah, yeah, I feel like it's definitely his idea of what it would feel like to be in a jungle mm. you, know, you can't sort of everything looks the same yeah you can't move um it's of this tiger or of the idea of the tiger painted by Henri Rousseau I found a quote from the painter the Swiss painter Felix Valaton who is an exceptional painter um where he describes Rousseau's work um but I thought that'd be quite interesting to include that quote so Felix Valaton said of Henri Rousseau, Monsieur Rousseau becomes more startling every year. Moreover, he is a terrible neighbour because he makes everything around him seem like nothing. His tiger taking its prey by surprise should not be missed on any account. The picture is the alpha and omega of painting. It is always magnificent to see conviction of whatever sort given such relentless expression. I just just love that quote. I feel like... Um, yeah to have a painter like Felix Valaton who's quite interested in a sort of dreamlike reality Mm. um, quite surreal depictions of reality to have him speak so highly like of Henri Rousseau's tiger being the alpha and omega of painting I feel like um, sort of you know shows another side to the idea that he was sort of only ever alienated and ostracized or like never accepted. You know, mm. he was the other painters. The other painters were very, um, you know, invested in his work and took pleasure in his work. And like um, Renoir, Degas, Picasso, 
um, you know, uh, so many so many painters of the day were like really really captivated by his work. Although, yeah, so in his early career, he did um, find some backlash to his work. Like when he first initially started exhibiting, it was not uncommon for people to discover his work and laugh to the point of crying, mm. um, which I think is quite hard to imagine. I mean, <laughs> art creating that sort of response. It's hard now, I guess, when, when the encouragement is to consider everything as possible and plausible and potentially thoughtful. It's, um, yeah, hard to consider laughing to the point of crying about mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I get. I guess, like, that widens, like, that scope widens mm-hmm. every... Like, constantly, it's constantly widening. So I guess, yes, perhaps there was a smaller scope and perhaps there was more reason to laugh in no. the past than there would be now. For sure. Um, yeah, quite early on in his career, two of the works exhibited were actually attacked and slashed um, so that's also something that doesn't happen very mm. often in present day. Maybe it'd be quite good to just touch on a little bit of his biography. That'd be great. So Henri was born in Laval in 1844 and he died in 1910. He's commonly referred to and known as Le Douanier, the tax collector or toll collector. Um, so he had a little brief stint in the military from, I believe, the age of about 18 until 22. And um, throughout his career as a tax collector, a toll collector on the outskirts of Paris, he spent about, yeah, just slightly over 20 years working full time in this kind of seemingly slightly monotonous, mundane job. Um, and he daydreamed quite a lot. And I, and I believe that he started painting quite late into that career so I believe he sort of started making paintings in the maybe somewhere around five years before he retired from this profession um, somewhere thereabouts and yeah I sort of on reading about his day-to-day working in the the tool collection sort of side of things these, these, he was working very long hours. You know, he's working ten hours a day, seven days a week, um, seemingly rarely getting any time off. And I believe that his co-workers and management sort of liked to joke and jest about how he was always daydreaming and fantasizing or staring off into the distance. And I feel like the idea that he had been sitting in this sort of line of employment for about twenty years before really seriously painting and investing in making that these worlds were just slowly growing Mm. i think it was very easy to like have that romantic idea that he sat there and he created all these paintings in his head Mm. but in reality like you come into the studio you have an idea in your head and it's Mm -hmm. like nigh on impossible to put that to to realize that like it's very easy i think to think he he sat in his toll booth and he imagined um exactly what he painted but no i mean i don't believe that they were you know, fully fledged ideas or visions or something, but mm. but I I just would struggle to believe that the the impetus or the you know the the hunger to you know put paint to canvas just suddenly appeared and you know because that would be like a lightning bolt moment. Oh no, of course not. Um, and I mean, I'm time away time away from studio, like not being able to be there. It's definitely a great like 
ambition driver. <laughs> yeah, well, I think he, um, he, his family were, you know, sort of like low income family, like a working class background, and he basically lived in poverty throughout his entire life. And he retired from the tax collection work around 42 or 41, I believe. And so that would sort of, he would have probably started painting around 36, 37. Um, and he was able to commit to painting full-time in his 40s, which he did for about 25-ish years. And yeah, like, so this painting, the, the surprise painting of the jungle um, is part of a series of uh, tropical jungle scenes, um, of which he made somewhere around 20. Um, but the term Sunday painter, which we are so familiar with mm. nowadays, um, seemingly was created or coined, sorry, by um, a contemporary of Henri Rousseau's and maybe in response to his practice. So there was a writer called Baroness von Uttingen, um, who is also known by her pseudonym Rock Grey. And... Um, yeah, just to include a quote from Rock Gray on the idea of a Sunday painter. Every person who works for a living has one consolation, one source of hope, one support that helps him to endure his daily toil. This protecting wall behind which he may cower all week long is Sunday. Fifty times a year the labouring man can find leisure to build up his own identity from its foundations. To sense that there are other worlds of thought, other activities, a different life from the one he leads. The only ground on which he can succeed is that of rebellion against the poverty which oppresses him, against the nonsense of all forms of government that cast him down. Product of remarkable coincidences of nature, who in this case has put paradisiac superabundance at the service of world harmony. Henri Rousseau lived without resentment towards his poverty and waited like all the others for his Sunday. Hours of rest during his weekday drudgery enabled him to see birds flying, flowers blooming, wagons rolling past and cattle returning to homesteads on the outskirts of the city. In the dusk, everything takes on a gentle tone. Colours are rich and saturated and reflect no light. For at this hour the sun has gone, and the weeks may pass before the moon reaches the fullness that bathes everything in silver. At this hour the human face is of one colour only, free of the shadows that sharpen features and underline a passing mood. All this Rousseau saw and loved, and he painted it on the glorious Sunday which the whole world over makes intensity of joy become the very atmosphere of life. It's quite a long rambling uh, quote, <laughs> but I think it really speaks to his uh, his circumstances, his socioeconomic background, circumstances, working, the drudgery. Um, it's and... interesting how that, that term, Sunday painter, like, it's it definitely, I, I guess, in my experience, has a negative connotation. It's very much like, the idea that it conjures for me would be someone making nice little watercolours of flowers in a very non... Just in a sort of... Um, uh, in almost in the difference between image making and art making, I guess, like making images in their spare time for amusement, mm -hmm. as opposed to um, contributing uh, great 
thought and reason and meaning into something. I don't know. Maybe that's like an, a stretch, but idea. No, I think it is. I think it. I think it was a loaded term. I feel like. It Do you has... think it was aimed at? Like, was it, it was? It, but did she mean that to him? Like in a loaded term, or has it just become a loaded term? I don't know. I feel like the term transformed over time. For me personally, I feel like her description of it is. Seem positive. Yeah, quite yeah. almost. Uh, almost loving, like in in a sort of a romanticizing manner, like looking from afar, and you know, I feel like her handling of describing him, her description is really tender and like something precious, something to be nurtured and tended toward and cared for and valid, mm, valued. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, completely, and yeah, I feel like that term over time. Um, Sort of non-seriousness to it, I yeah. think it's picked up, yeah. which I don't think is this um, necessarily right. No, of course. Well, it's very discouraging and uh, disparaging, and I guess it... we've both got friends like who are artists who choose, you know, to work outside of the studio on other in other jobs because it contributes something to their practice. It yeah. brings, firstly, a level of urgency to their studio time. Yeah. That, and secondly, like a level of experience in the outside world that feeds into their painting or art making in general. So, yeah, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, I feel like uh, the notion of to be a Sunday painter now, it, as a painter, it has less weight to me. Um, I mean, George W. Bush was a Sunday painter. and is that, uh, a, is that a good thing? Are we saying it as a positive or a negative? Well, in this case... It's quite, he, he's quite an interesting one because when, I think when I first seen the paintings of George W. Bush, I was a bit like, what, is, what on earth is this? Um, but they, the paintings that he has put out into the world have um, they've taken on a life of their own and his, his ability to you know, produce these paintings has, you know, they've, they've improved dr- drastically and dramatically and now people love them. I mean, people love these paintings. You have to revisit these paintings. I don't know, I don't know how <laughs> I feel about it, but, but I know a lot of painters that are quite into them mm, um, mm. but there's something quite peculiar about that um, but yeah a lot of notable Sunday painters in the past I feel like um, maybe maybe in the present like now it's there's a lot less stigma around having you know working to make ends meet because to live in any sort of major art mm. centre is for, for the most part pretty difficult you know I mean cost of living and rent and you know studio rental costs that are like through the roof and materials you know 30 pounds a tube of paint I mean cost you know the battle sort of it goes oh, on the price of framing has gone got four times <laughs> I mean yes I, I noticed that also because once upon a time you know pre-2020 uh, stretcher bars were expensive then and mm. now they're yeah easily triple easily triple yeah. the price so um yeah sunday painting for everybody i think at this point <laughs> absolutely well yeah slightly off topic but um yeah i i um have always been really into the watercolors of emil nolder and mm. he sort of a time where he wasn't making oil paintings and he just focused solely on watercolours and and for throughout like his you know practice like those those watercolours where he seemingly was not making precisely what he wanted to make they had a richness and a depth to them that he would not have got to if he had continued doing his regular practice so I think that's quite an interesting thing in terms of to be an artist and to be working and making that 
yeah the idea of just being a consummate professional who like you're just you know you're you're in there monday to friday nine mm. to five or ten to six whatever just doing it and doing it and doing it that's the only way is you know um anything but the truth you know and i think um i think a little constraint or restriction is sometimes good absolutely and i think i think the the sort of nature of making work and having other responsibilities in life um you know brings fresh perspective into making you know obviously you know most artists would love to just spend every waking hour making things but ultimately you know like most of my favorite artists throughout history were not afraid of taking risks and the nature of taking risks came from not having that certainty or stability and um yeah like taking leaps you know um and I feel like that really comes across in Henri's work, you know, I mean, he, for me personally, I feel like he took a lot of risks the whole way throughout and he wasn't discouraged. He wasn't discouraged. Like, there was so much... Um... No, you said he had a certain level of um, confidence to him. You were talking about him um, in relation to Suzanne. Yes. That, well, that's a little bit on the cheeky side of Henri. So he, I'm, I'm sure many of our friends who hear this would be, you know, very bemused and maybe slightly outraged. Anyone who loves Suzanne might There's be outraged. There's a lot outraged. of people who love Suzanne. <laughs> so Henri apparently went to Suzanne's memorial, I believe, in 1907. And what I imagine to be a room full of Suzanne's paintings, Henri walked in and his response was, I could finish all of these pictures, which is an awful thing to say, but... <laughs> The hilarity of it. I mean, I guess that sort of puts the shoe in the other foot because he was often the butt of the joke. Yeah. There's definitely a confidence to that and a kind of self-awareness. It's like, it, that's really interesting because you imagine someone like coming into art late, like untrained and, you know, starting from a bottom level, you, you imagine a certain amount of deference and I think it's kind of refreshing to hear that um, perhaps there, that wasn't that wasn't who he was, you know? No, I mean, I won't go too deeply into it because it's been covered in many sort of interviews, podcasts, conversations around Rousseau. But um, one notable event in his life was he got tangled up with some younger individual who seemingly took him for a bit of a ride. And Henri got into trouble um, regarding taxes and... He was facing two years in prison from having the wool pulled over his eyes, basically, mm. um, to do with some form of tax fraud. But he basically got out of any hard time um, by a lawyer casting him as this sort of man-child, this kind of, like, you know, almost like a toddler, like, really not equipped for reality and his paintings were actually brought into court oh so that, shown... that like naivety trope really yeah. Yeah. was really being played upon yeah in his lifetime yeah yeah very much so um which i think must have been really bittersweet for him i mean in terms of like he got off he got off going to prison but at what cost the, uh, the his cost pride... of the derision of his paintings though yeah. yeah exactly it couldn't have felt um it couldn't have felt good like knowing that you're downplaying it um, or that anyone even suggested using them as evidence of yeah. your own childlike yeah. brain. But I think he did sort of know that... I think he had a certain kind of confidence about his work. Like, 
um, a, a quite a peculiar one. Like he made some Picasso famously threw him a banquet or some sort of dinner party in his studio or in Montmartre or something, and. It's sort of unknown as to whether or not this was a sincere celebration of Henri or if it, if, if it was a joke, if it was a cruel, elaborate hoax, you know. Um, and but, um, but Henri made a speech in which he spoke to Picasso and said that they were basically the two greatest painters of the age and uh, Picasso in the Egyptian style and I, Henri, in the modern style, which was quite um, funny because he, you know, like he clearly had a vision of self as someone that was doing something of note simultaneously being the butt of jokes, um, you know, being uh, turning up in court and, and having to sort of play on his character or his delusions or his... Um, lack of maturity or intellectual you know standing you know i think so he had a he had a very peculiar kind of time of it and he as i'd mentioned earlier he had um you know a lot of people would come to the exhibitions the salons and would laugh at the works and his work was famously defended by dega uh, publicly where dega you know sort of like responded to those who were laughing at Henri's work by saying, why shouldn't that be the painter of the future? Mm. And, you know, I don't think that Henri or any of his contemporaries really would have known how great of an impact or how influential those paintings would, you know, be um, a century and a decade on. You know, you can really feel the presence of his work everywhere. You know, they're very... Uh, they're very influential, and I feel like um, his manner of approaching a subject and, and world conjuring kind of becomes a bit of a shorthand, and it can be quite easy to overlook how significant the work is. And, and in terms of language, like of course it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, and yeah. you know people people who value um, in inverted commas like. Um, accuracy yeah precision and technical <laughs> observation technical ability um there's a, there's a lot to un unravel or unpick if you were looking at the painting in that way yeah but i don't think that's how the painting should be looked at no absolutely um yeah so his uh, his influence continues and uh, i'm sure it will continue to be highly influential absolutely Thank you for joining us this week. We can never be 100% sure of the accuracy of historical events. However, the information we are providing is based on our own research. If there is a painting which you would like to hear us discuss, please let us know on social media. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe for weekly episodes.